Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Handoff. Foster running right across the five. He gets in. Arian Foster, his third touchdown of the day. And the Texans are beating up Indianapolis. What is good? What is up? It's Jordan or Texans Thoughts, and we're back with another episode today. We've got a very, very special edition of our draft prep series. We've got another NFL draft expert joining us. I'm very happy and honored to have PFS very own Austin Gale. Austin, thank you for joining us. How you doing today, man? Absolutely. Doing great. Thanks for having me on, Jordan. Awesome. Awesome. Super excited to talk ball, talk NFL draft with a highlight on the Texans, of course. It's the best time of the year, man. I'm super excited. We're getting so damn close to the draft. Are you? I had Derek Klassen on uh, last week, and he said that he was kind of looking forward to getting it over with. How? What are your thoughts, your general thoughts? Are you excited? you ready to, to move on to the next phase in the year? How are you feeling about this draft, man? It's definitely, I, I can see where Derek's coming from, right? It's so much work that goes into, you know, a four-day, kind of a three, four-day span over, mm-hmm. you know, days one, two, and three of the draft. And I think that Sunday after, there's a lot of expectation around recapping the draft and all that stuff. Yeah. But, you know, I always, you know, I always think, oh, man, I can't wait to get past it. I can't wait to get past it. Those three days, man, are so sick to see all the situations that you talked about a thousand times actually, like, yeah. yield the results and see where these guys go and see the Bears trade up for Justin Fields and you know, <laughs> Mac Jones go to the Patriots, like, to see all these situations that maybe you didn't see before you know th- those three days are probably the best of the the nfl calendar year honestly i think week one's mm-hmm. fantastic obviously the super bowl obviously the postseason but the draft is right there up you know in terms of just energy and entertainment absolutely 100 i'm with you it's christmas to me and i think <laughs> you're absolutely right it's so funny to see like we go all this entire year of trying to like hype hypothesize i can't even speak all these scenarios and then it shows us every year again and again the draft is just crap shoot. And it's completely unpredictable. And we're always going to get it wrong nine times out of 10. So I think that surprise element for sure. I'm with you. It's super, super fun. But for those of you guys who don't know, Austin, I don't know if you're living on the rock or whatever it is, but he is the director of contents for PFF. He's also a the co-host of the Tailgate podcast. Um, and I think he's, he's definitely in the running, man, for the best stash. I mean, God damn, look at that beauty. I could never, I could never, my Asian ass cannot grow facial hair like that. So props to you. <laughs> Um, but I want to talk about, really quickly about his new series um, called Hutch, the story of Aiden Hutchinson, um, a great podcast series that you guys should really go check out because I think Aiden Hutchinson, you know, one of the top players in the class, my top player. Um, and if, if he's there at three, man, it's, it's not looking likely at this point, but if he's there at three, it's a no brainer pick for the Texans. So I think that's a great series where you guys can get to know Aiden Hutchinson better um, and his journey to the NFL. I'm curious, Austin, what was your kind of like major takeaway um, when you were going through that process with interviewing uh, Aiden. Yeah, it was a phenomenal project to work with him and his family, you know, Michigan coaches, Michigan teammates, and even a lot of Michigan media, right? It was wild mm-hmm. to just see the amount of consistency when you talk to all these people, like whether it's Harbaugh, his sister, his mom, a teammate, they all say the same things, right? In terms of on and off the field, you know, high level character, high level, you know, work ethic, high level production on the football field, you know, teammate, all these different things. And you know, talking to Aiden specifically, I think you can identify a lot of traits that are just going to last in the NFL. You know what I mean? I think you don't come out of a lot of interviews, in my opinion, I interview a lot of prospects on the tailgate podcast. You don't come out of a lot of them saying, oh man, that guy has all the interview skills to be a hall of famer. But what you do come out of it oftentimes is 
you know, he has a lot of traits that will help him last in the NFL, right? It's, it's the work ethic. It's how you prioritize your goals. It's you know, how focused you are on maximizing your potential. And I think Aiden has so much of that that I do think he's going to have, you know, if anything, a very long career. And he's going to be a consistent starter for teams, you know, um, you know for a long mm-hmm. time to come. Yeah, absolutely. I echo that point a lot. I feel like he is definitely one of the safest picks um, at the top of that draft right there because of all the intangibles that you highlighted. I mean, this man seems like he's got a great head on his shoulders. And I have to imagine a large part of that is because of his dad, Chris Hutchinson, who is also a Michigan star and he's kind of followed in his footsteps. Do you think you get to talk to uh, Chris a good amount and kind of how he like kind of laid the blueprint for Aiden? Yeah, Chris and his relationship with his son, obviously Aiden, I think is a big part of Aiden's success. You know, he didn't like throw him into football. He didn't force him to go to Michigan. He kind of, you know, the thing that he told Aiden at a very young age is you can do anything you want as long as you give 100% effort. And that's how he did it. You know what I mean? Whether it was dancing with his sisters, he was a long boarder growing up. He played lacrosse. He played cross country and obviously a lot of high school football. And even when, you know, he was a four-star recruit coming out of Divine Child, it wasn't like you're going to Michigan no matter what, right? They, they did a tour at Michigan State. They did some of these other schools in the Big Ten. And he said, I want you to go where you think you're going to have the most success and, you know, what fits the best for you. And for Aiden, it was never in doubt, right? You know, he's grew up in, you know, close, so close to Ann Arbor, went to so many different games that Michigan was always going to be his top choice. And when they got the offer, it was kind of an easy decision for him. But I do respect a lot of, you know, his dad's principles and how you know, he raised Aiden, right? And making sure that as long as you give 100% effort, you can do whatever you want. And Aiden has done exactly that. Yeah, absolutely. I think you see that through his preparation and how he's improved over his career at Michigan and then also just on the field. I mean, that guy, his motor, his effort, like no concerns whatsoever with that. That's definitely one of the strengths of his his scouting report that you would put up there. So it's all translatable for sure. He doesn't just talk the talk, like he walks the walk. Absolutely. Um, quick question here. Do you think Hutchinson, we'll focus on Hutchinson for now. Do you think Aiden Hutchinson is a day one starter primetime? Barry wants to know. Absolutely. Definitely a day one starter. I think Kayvon Thibodeau is also a day one starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's not just a day one starter. He's a day 500 starter, right? <laughs> a guy that you can kind of slot in and, and expect really good things right out of the gate. And he's a really polished player. He's got yeah. easily the best pass rushing moves of any player in this class, the best hands of any player in this class, really good frame at six foot two seventy. He's going to play the run really well. He had the highest, you know, some of the highest percentage of possibly graded run plays on early downs. I mean, he is, everything you want right now. And I think, you know, while Trayvon Walker, who's obviously in the conversation for the number one overall pick has better measurables, better athleticism, and you could argue a higher ceiling, right. In terms of what he could be, he has a bigger percentage chance or a higher range of outcomes being a hall of fame talent, just given just the mm-hmm. sheer insanity he is as an athlete. I still feel so confident in the percentage of outcomes where Aiden Hutchinson's just a high end starter, right? Because of the polish you see in his game, both as a run defender and as a pass rusher, his work ethic on and off the football field, the character he brings, and also just the experience, right? He's played a lot. You know, he played as a true freshman at Michigan. And if he didn't, you know, get hurt in 2020 or if it wasn't impacted by COVID, yeah. I do think that he comes out in the 2020 NFL draft and, and is considered, you know, a high end talent coming out of that year as well. That would be crazy to see. Man, Austin, you must like, are you Aiden's like personal salesman? Like, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> he's gotta be paying <laughs> you something, man. It's been tough, right? Because you know, doing this podcast with him, you know, the goals were not coming out of it to be biased towards Aiden and all that yeah. stuff. But like he's a projected number one overall pick for a reason. Like, yeah. like I'm not the only one who's projecting him number one overall. He's the betting favorite to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. If not, he's gonna be a top three pick. Like that's that's literally the lock. And mm-hmm. For me, it's it's been it's been really interesting to kind of see the makings of a number one overall pick, right? Because mm-hmm. for him, it's not that he has Trayvon Walker's athleticism or length, right? He doesn't have Kayvon Thibodeau's first step, but what he does have is insane amount of polish in his game and an insane amount of experience at a high end, playing at a high level, and that 
is going to get coveted, especially by the Jacksonville Jaguars that have just really failed to hit on a lot of top picks. C.J. Henderson did not work out. Caleb on Chason still not working out. Taven Bryan still not working out. I think that regime is in desperate need of a double, right? My, my podcast co-host, Mike Renner, says, yeah, at the first overall pick, you want to hit for home runs, right? You want to go get you know, guys that could be Hall of Famers. But you know, for a franchise that has not even sniffed a single in a while, I think it could be an opportunity to go after a double like Aiden Hutchinson. Absolutely. I think that's a great transition to kind of the Texans and, and the – I guess perspective that they're looking at this draft as well. Like I would, I have been a big proponent of being like, you know, we have to kind of, we have to hit on these picks at three and 13. We have not had the premium draft capital in the previous years um, to really build up the talent on this team. And so we need to absolutely hit and hate Aiden Hutchinson. Like you said, would be one of the most likely like long-term starters um, out of those, those top guys at the top. And I think it's an interesting discussion between him and, and Trayvon Walker. And I guess, that can transition us to the Texans strategy um, at pick three, because a lot of us are thrown off of what to do. Like we are kind of, you know, what's the word? We are scared, I guess, with the JW on Clowney um, pick. We kind of relate him to Kayvon Thibodeau um, and being another risky athletic projection sort of type of player. I think that's going too far. Um, but then Aiden Hutchinson, on the other hand, is like basically the complete opposite, right? He's like the surefire, like at least high floor um, type of guy that you can add there. So do you think the Texans, if they have the opportunity to choose between either of those edge rushers, do you think they should take the safe pick? Do you think they should take the potential pick um, between Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau at three? What would you kind of propose? Yeah, I mean, right now, Aiden Hutchinson is the number one player on my board, right? I would go mm-hmm. Aiden, I would go Aiden Hutchinson over Kayvon Thibodeau, but it's really close. I don't think it's yeah. a massive gap, right? I don't think, you know, I have in the tier one, Aiden, Kayvon, Trayvon Walker, and George Karloftis all in this tier one among edge defenders in this class. I think they're going to be considering, though, one of the top edge defenders, right, if Walker's available, if Thibodeau, if Hutchinson's mm-hmm. available, and then also one of the offensive tackles, right? I think Ike Aquanu is minus 130 to be you know picked inside the top three i think the houston texans are a monster landing spot for him they could also consider evan neal of alabama charles cross mississippi state they are in my opinion going to go edge or offensive tackle at that uh-huh. spot and i think if i had to bet right now i think it would be icky aquano the nc state offensive tackle wow wow that's that would be an interesting one for sure um i think the way i view it is that this class kind of has like these this big three in terms of your aiden hutchinson your Kayvon, Thibodeau, and for me, I'm, I'm really high on Kyle Hamilton. So I think for me, that's kind of the top three talents. So I want to walk away with one of those three guys because one of them should be available at three. That's how I view it. Um, but it's a very popular train of thought for sure to go O-line because we do have arguably like one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. Um, you got Tunsil, Laramie Tunsil, left tackle. I think Titus Howard deserves to stay at right tackle. They experimented with him at guard. Didn't look as good. Um, but the great thing, like you mentioned, um, with Neil and Ikuonu is that they're versatile. They both played guard um, as, as along with tackle in college. So in your opinion, Ikem Ikuonu, you said, is kind of your guy who you would put there. Do you think he can play guard better than Neil? Because that's kind of a big deciding factor between the two, for, for me at least. Yeah, I think if they're if they're going to look to slot someone into guard, maybe I would lean Neil, right? Because Neil has more experience playing guard. He's also played like yeah. multiple positions up and down the offensive line. I think his pers- positional versatility is getting a bit underrated in this class as people consider, you know, Neil. I think Charles Cross is a tackle only. I think he's probably yeah. going to only play left or right tackle in the NFL. But I mean, I, I think you're splitting hairs again, right? Like I think everyone obviously in the media 
when you're putting, building a draft board, right? It's like, do you want this guy or this guy, this guy, or this guy? It's like, you know, it depends on how that interview process went. How do they feel about the medical checks? You know, do how comfortable is Aquano moving to right tackle versus left with Larry Tunsil obviously there? I think, you know, so much more of it is, you know, who do you think is going to slot in best, but more so like kind of what the team wants to lean into. So I don't think they can go wrong. Right? I don't think the Houston Texans yes. can go wrong going Neil, Aquano, or any of the top three edge defenders. I think that'll be, you know, the best use of that pick, say they don't trade down. Absolutely. I've been I've been trying to preach this point too. I feel like the Texans are in such a good position, not only being at three, but also just kind of the stage of the rebuild that they're at and with their roster construction. Like it's gonna be very hard for them to kind of mess up this pick. Like you can go in so many different directions. Um, just take honestly the best player available. That's kind of always my um what I want to preach. Um, and I think there's also a scenario that people talk about, and Nick Casario has been pretty vocal about. Um, in terms of trading down, do you think that is something that they should do? Or do you think maybe they trade down at 13? Or do you think they should stay at three? Um, what's your kind of thoughts about staying or, or trading down? Yeah, it obviously depends on the offer you're getting, right? I don't yeah. think this this trade-up scenario in this year's draft is specifically going to be big because I don't see a lot of teams trading up for quarterback, right? This quarterback, you know, in mm -hmm. previous classes, you see Niners coming up big for Trey Lance, trading, you know, two future firsts and all that stuff. I don't think you're going to see one of those bigger monster trades in this draft class because you know, you, no one's going to really, really be interested in coming up that big for a quarterback. So it's very likely that there aren't a lot of offers to come up. If there are, and you're able to pick up some additional resource, it's such a low end roster that I don't think you should pass on those opportunities, but it also depends how far you go down, right? You go down far enough. You're got, you're, you're not getting any of the big three offensive yeah. tackles and you'll get any of the big three edge defenders. If you want to add one of those positions, you can't probably get past eight, you know, if the Atlanta Falcons want to come up, I think that's where maybe I start to think about it. That's perfect. That's what I've been doing in my mock drafts. If I am going to trade down, that's as far as I'm going. Because I feel like that is kind of where the, the tier kind of drops off into the next tier of prospects. I'm with you. Um, and I saw a comment in chat. Give me Sauce at three. He's probably the only guy that we haven't mentioned so far in terms of the, the prospects I would personally love at three. Um, what are your thoughts on Sauce? Do you think it's too high? Um, and how does he kind of compare to the cornerbacks in last year's class that were really elite, you know, in J.C. Horn and, and Patrick Sertain? Yeah, I think, you know, Gardner, it's not necessarily too high, right? I think it's more mm -hmm. that, you know, from a position value, positional value perspective, I lean tackle and edge over corner. And that's splitting hairs a little bit. But you think about the highest non-paid quarterbacks in the NFL, either rush the passer or they protect it. And I think for corner, it's not that much lower on the chart. And if you value Gardner that much more than you do a Neil, a Quanu, or the edge defenders that will be available, you could definitely do it. I like Gardner more if it's they trade down, though, because yeah. then, you know, you're, maybe the tackles are off the board and all that stuff. And in terms of comparing him to last year's class, I like Sertan over Gardner. I think him and J.C. Horn are probably similar prospects for me, though. And then same with yeah. Derek Stingley. I think Derek Stingley is in that tier as well. But for Sertan, I thought was different, like absolutely different in terms of polish yeah. and all that stuff. I think we already saw that in Denver. Yeah, how quickly and instantly he he translated to their scheme and everything that he could really do it all. Like guys, his size should not be able to move as well as he did, dude. It was it was crazy for sure. Um, but okay, so we talked about the strategy at three. I'm I'm in agreement with you. I think there's that tier of players that you can. It's really hard to go wrong with, um, and potentially trading down to eight. That's kind of as far as I would go. But I do think it's more likely that they could make a trade down from thirteen, and that's the pick that we're gonna talk about next. Do you have a general kind of strategy in that range? Do you think there's certain values at certain positions that they should target, or is it just still more, mainly like best player available? Um, what are your thoughts on 13? 
13, I think, is where you open up for maybe a low-value position guy like okay. Jordan Davis or uh, the defensive tackle yes. from Georgia or Kyle Hamilton, safety from Notre Dame. Like, I don't think it necessarily need to lock into a tackle, an edge, a receiver, a corner if you know, one of your favorites isn't available. I think if you're not going to go Kyle Hamilton or Jordan Davis, you start to lean probably Carl Loftus is in that spot. Say so they do mm-hmm. go off the tackle at three, the Purdue edge defender, and then you know, maybe one of the top-end wide receivers, Garrett Wilson, Ohio State, Chris Olave, Ohio State, Drake London, USC. That's where I think it also starts to make sense as well. I, again, like the Houston Texans, what's great about bad football teams and bad yeah. rosters is that you oftentimes can't go wrong. Like they're not in a Super Bowl window to have two first round picks. I think them going tackle or edge at three and then anything of, you know, safety, wide receiver, uh, or maybe Jordan Davis there at 13, I think is the way to go. Yeah, my guy Beige says it right. In a rebuild, just BPA is the way to go. And that's exactly what Austin is preaching as well. There's so many different players in that range that you can go with and add to this team that is, you know, in the very early, early stages of the rebuild. So just get that talent on the team, guys that you believe in their ability to translate to the field. And then also, I know the Texans are very big on their like off field culture and building that. And that's going to be very important as we go through this rebuild. So guys that they believe um, are also good people good work ethic, all those intangibles. That's going to be something to focus on for sure. But I like the first name you mentioned, Austin. I love that name, Jordan Davis, the DTO to Georgia. One of my, you know, favorite kind of plans for this draft, I guess, is to just double down on D-line in the first round. I think if you can get a Hutchinson or a Thibodeau at three and then double down with Jordan Davis, like that is a dream defensive line duo to try and to start to form. And you got John Grenard there as well. That's a nice one, two, three punch. Um, do you think, this is, I guess, is a split in hairs here. But w- if you could choose between, you know, Hamilton, or sorry, not Hamilton, Hutchinson and Davis, or Thibodeau and Davis, do you think one of those edge rushers pairs better with Davis, or it's it's just split in hairs there? I think you're split in hairs. I probably go Hutchinson and Davis, but I could see Thibodeau yeah. and Davis also being like really good picks as well. I think with Davis, it just allow it just frees you so much to play more two high looks, and yeah. and it allows you to. You know, pair him with a three technique, that's going to get a lot more one-on-ones, right? Grenard's going to get more one-on-ones with Davis. Hutchinson, in this case, we get more one-on-ones with Davis. Thibodeau as well. Um, I, I do think 13 is probably a lot of people are mocking Davis to the Houston Texans at 13. Because if he doesn't go at 13, I think he goes to Baltimore Ravens at 14. If he doesn't go to the Ravens at 14, I think he goes to the Eagles at 15, right? It's going to be that range where I think Davis ultimately comes off the board starting with the Texans at 13. Yeah, yeah. And so because of those targets right behind us, he- that could make 13 a valuable trade spot to trade up, get ahead of the Ravens or the Eagles. Maybe that's where we start to get some more of those day two picks um, and just add to our haul. But yeah, no, I love what you said about Jordan Davis and, and allowing us to play more too high because we know Lovey Smith, that's his bread and butter, Tampa two. He wants to play with the two safeties deep, which means there's no safety to help support the run in the box. Um, and you're really, really relying on that front seven um, and particularly that nose guard. Um, position we got Roy Lopez he was a very nice surprise um, in the sixth round last year but I feel like Jordan Davis and the the talent gap and the things that he can do at, with his size is just I'm not going to pass on him just because we got Roy Lopez right you can kind of mm-hmm. add those two as a nice one-two punch and Lovey loves to rotate his defensive line anyways um, and Davis would go a long way in helping us you know slow down those AFC running backs like AFC South running backs like Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor sometimes you kind of have to play to the strengths of your division um, and getting a, a big monster in the middle like Davis will go a long way for sure, for sure. Um, okay, next we are going to go through some questions from Twitter. You guys can follow me at Texans underscore thoughts, and Austin's Twitter is in the description as well. First up 
from Fond of Houston Sports. He's got six questions for us. I appreciate the love and support, my guy. We're going to go through one of these just so he can share the love. Um, we're going to go with question number six here. If Houston were to go heavy on one side of the ball with their early picks, should it be offense or should it be defense, Austin? What do you think? That's a good question. I, I think you can't go wrong either way. If you're going to go offense, it'd be an Iki Aquanu drake london pairing, right? It would be Iki Aquanu garrett wilson I think that's a solid outing. But honestly, if I had to pick between the two, I think it would be defense going mm-hmm. one of Kayvon Thibodeau, Aiden Hutchinson, or Trayvon Walker, whichever those three that's available to you and your favorite there. And then at 13, going Jordan Davis, right? Jordan Davis or Kyle Hamilton there at 13. I think defense is probably not the best case scenario, but the, the scenario would definitely lean. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think even though there might be, we've had better success on the defensive side of the ball last year. I think this class, this draft class particularly, has some more elite defensive talent at the top compared to the offensive. I think it, it's it's pretty close, but I would lean defense as well. Um, and you mentioned Cal Hampton, who, who is one of my absolute favorite players in this class. I've been wanting him at three this entire year until he has had that recent slide. I'd still love him at three. But now the reality of him potentially being there at 13, Austin, do you think that is actually possible? I think so. I honestly think that Kyle Hamilton's, you know, going to fall, could potentially fall down to 13 just because mm-hmm. we did not test like brilliantly. And then also you factor in again, the position, it's the same reason, similar to like what Jordan Davis will fall, like Jordan Davis yeah. will fall, right? He plays a yeah. low value position compared to corner wide receiver tackle edge. And that's something that I probably hammer too much in this pre-draft process, but it definitely matters, you know, with the rookie contract mm-hmm. and with how rookie contracts are set up in the NFL, the teams are looking to maximize value, on those rookie contracts and oftentimes that's getting cheap players at highly paid positions that's tackle that's edge that's wide receiver corner and then looking to spend it's the same reason to ele- I mean, it's not as big not as severe but it's the same reason you don't draft a punter in the you know at number one overall <laughs> right like you don't draft a punter at number one overall even if he's the best player in the draft because he plays punter same with right. kicker or, or a long snapper etc obviously defensive tackle is more valuable than those positions but there is a list right there are mm-hmm. more valuable positions that's listed obviously and how they're paid Absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And that kind of leads to this next question. Um, we talked about who's a better guard prospect, Icky O'Neal, but Jimmy wants to know, why do you think it looked like Hamilton wasn't prepared for the 40? You mentioned that, you know, that 40-yard dash, it has tanked his stock a little bit, has made people a little bit more skeptical. Um, and, and that's fair because he did put up a, a, a less than spectacular, less than expected, I guess we should say, um, 40-yard dash. And, and I mentioned it last time, but he, he was really running in zigzags, man. Like It didn't look like he was prepared whatsoever. What do you think attributed to that? Yeah, I don't think he's a track star, right? I think yeah. me and Mike will highlight that on our podcast, talking specifically about, you know, he's not, you know, his, his, his technique wasn't all that great, but you still didn't have concerns on film with range, right? You didn't have concerns on yeah. film with speed. And I think he leaned into that more. He also didn't test all that dissimilarly to a Jesse Bates of Cincinnati or uh, Justin Simmons, who plays for Denver. Exactly. And then who's the better guard prospect? It's tough. I think we talked about this a little bit. Maybe I lean Neil because he's played it more and he's played it in the SEC and he's got more experience there. But I think mm. you're splitting hairs. I think Icky and Neil are so close on my board that, yeah. you know, it could come down to the interview process or, you know, their preference on playing left guard or right guard and what the opening is in your offense. Yeah, for sure. There's so many variables to, to factor in there. I think for me, I'll play devil's advocate, I think, a little bit. I think Ike Mikwanu, I think, would be better, in my opinion, because he's kind of had that natural, like, leverage advantage where he's 6'4" compared to Evan Neal being 6'7". And I feel you just don't see too many very successful 6'7 guards. It's very hard to keep your pad level down and play with the necessary yeah. leverage. So to me, that gives him a bit of a disadvantage where that's something that he can never really like fix. He's not, he, Evan Neal's never getting shorter, um, yeah. and, and he shouldn't. 
right? So for me, I, I would lean Ekwonu there. Um, do you think between the two, I guess I would say Neil is more of the polished prospect compared to Ekwonu, but do you think talking like ceiling-wise, is there really much of a difference there? I don't think so. I, I think, you know, for Ekwonu, maybe he's a bit more explosive. Maybe he's nastier as a run blocker, right? But I still feel that Neil... A lot of, you know, I still, I, you know, the polish thing, I don't think maybe it's that. Like, I think Neil needs more polish in the NFL. I think Aquano needs more polish. If anyone's got yeah. polish, it's Charles Cross, right? Yeah. Like, Charles Cross <laughs> plays, is already a really good run blocker and already a really good, you know, pass protecting offensive tackle. I think Neil and Aquano both need to improve in the NFL. And, it, and it's, you know, kind of, is, I think the leverage, you know, conversation is good. I also, you know, wish we could have seen Neil test more, right, in this pre-draft yeah. process, obviously working through some of that stuff. But for Aquanu, I, I think the lean is Aquanu over Neil, but I think, again, you're splitting hairs. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, one more question here, and then we'll answer some questions in the chats. Where'd it go? There we go. Okay, Pete wants to know, better edge option at 13. Jermaine Johnson or George Karloftis? Austin, what do you think? That one's tough. I am bigger on Karloftis. I like Karloftis a bit more than mm -hmm. Jermaine Johnson. Jermaine Johnson for me is not, you know, as I'm not as big on Johnson as others. I think I worry a little bit about the age. He's one of the older prospects and also his production. Like he wasn't an overly productive pass rusher at Florida State, even in his mm -hmm. last season here in 2021. Did he have a good senior bowl? Yes. Is there... You know, are there some moves that you that he has that others don't in this class? Absolutely, but I think Carl Loftus is you know a better prospect overall. I have him actually as a top ten player in this class. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so you're sharing the same thoughts with Derek as well, and I and I pushed back on him. I I have so my edge rankings, I guess, are Aiden, Debido, Jermaine, Carl Loftus, and then Walker. Um, so I'm very high on Jermaine, um, mm -hmm. and it was interesting for me because when I first watched him mid season. I wasn't as high and I had him kind of like a high second round pick. And I saw a guy who, you know, high floor is a run defender, great effort and motor guy. You know, he's going to clean up on stunts and, and pressures from his other teammates, stuff like that. But I didn't see, you know, the, the pass rush nuance, the plan, the technique, all the stuff that you would want to see to project, you know, a, a double digit sack guy in the NFL. Mm -hmm. um, but then at the end of the season, I watched another handful of games and then I did get to see those reps where, man, this guy is putting together when he actually gets to like tee off um, on third downs and he's not just kind of playing more of a contain role. Like this guy can really get after the quarterback. He shows counter moves, um, like being able to string multiple moves together. And so I was really able to buy into that, showing those flashes of technique on top of all the other things I already saw before. So I'm, I'm really high on, on Jermaine. I think, is he a perfect prospect? No. Um, but I think his journey, like you said, being an older prospect, going through Juco, going through Georgia, I feel like it's helped shape him to be the guy who he is today and kind of show that, hey, I need to always put in the work to master my craft because um, that's not that's only going to get harder at the NFL level. So I feel like now he has that kind of like drilled into his mindset. And so it makes me a believer um, that he can improve even more. Um, but between those two, I guess at 13, so you, you went Karloftis for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm gonna ask you the same thing I asked about Derek. What do you make of Karloftis's shorter arms? Because I feel like that's a big kind of talking point about him. Yeah, the, the short the arm length is definitely something that him and Aiden and, and Boye Mafe, the Minnesota Edge, are gonna have to deal with, right? And that shows up a little bit on all of their tape. I mean, arm length is something that 
if you don't have it, you need to come up, you know, you need to have moves to beat it. I think Karloftis has that. He also has a really good lower half. He's really explosive in his lower half. Um, I, I think, you know, the comparison I make for him is Justin Tuck. I think you can, he has inside outside versatility that he can kick inside, add weight and all that stuff for Johnson. You know, he has that length, right? And he does yeah. have, you know, the the like ideal frame that you're kind of looking for along the edge. I, I worry about pass rushing move technique consistently bending, you know, consistently mm-hmm. getting home, at, you know, and, and winning the block. And I think that's, you know, you speak to his story. I think I buy into his trajectory, Juco to Georgia, transferring to Florida State. But I also think there's a reason he had to transfer to Florida State, right? He's yeah. not seeing the field <laughs> over you know, guys that are going to get drafted maybe ahead of him and Jordan Davis, Trayvon Walker, you know, Devontae Wyatt, obviously Davis and Wyatt playing different positions. So I, I'm interested to see how his trajectory continues to go. But, you know, I wanted to be, you know, if you're playing 23 years old in college football, you know, compare that Aiden you know, Hutchinson is playing at 20 years old, George Carlos yeah. is playing at 20 years old, and you're not dominating. I mean, that's always going to be a concern. For sure. For sure. The, the whole age thing is definitely a big discussion. I think you brought up a, an interesting um, point, though, talking about him transferring from Georgia and I've seen this kind of thrown out there on Twitter before if a, a hypothetical scenario here. Let's say Jermaine Johnson stayed at Georgia for his last season rather than transferring to Florida State. And Trevon Walker was the one to transfer to Florida State. Do you think Trevon would put up the production, put up the sacks that Jermaine did? Or what do you think would happen there? Yeah, that's an interesting conversation. I, I, I think that it would... It, Trayvon would have been playing a completely different role in that Florida mm-hmm. State defense, probably more pure edge technique. And it would have been hard for him to produce worse than Jermaine. I think it could have been better <laughs> than I mean, but I think don't I don't think you know Johnson didn't have that much production. I think Walker, I think, could have equal, if not better, production. I just think the reason that Walker stayed is because they liked him more as a run defender. And he's got better size, he's got better measurables than Jermaine Johnson, obviously. Yeah, he does. He does. I think I'm looking at um Jermaine's yeah so he had 12 sacks in 2021 um and then eight when he was with Georgia in 2020 so I feel like the production like I think it's good like he has 70 overall tackles um maybe the pressure numbers could be better pressure rate that sort of advanced stats mm-hmm. um that you're maybe talking about but I thought the production was, was pretty decent for Jermaine um but it is kind of like a late bloomer I guess you could say um so that's an interesting discussion um I saw another question in the chat relating to the edges there we go michael reyna wants to know um thoughts on david ojabo we talked a lot about kind of the big i guess five in terms of the edge guys i think david ojabo like is right right there in terms of being with you know jermaine and and walker and carloftis for me what are your thoughts on ojabo do you think he's going to be a steal now potentially because of the injury yeah i think so i think he's going to be a day two guy probably you know drafted somewhere in the second round if not the third round because of the injury and even you know you get gonna miss a lot of the offseason and it's a guy that I think needs to improve his run defense significantly in the NFL. And also I think needs to improve his pass rushing moves, right? He doesn't have a lot yeah. of experience. Uh, you know, this past season was his first full season legitimately playing and just playing opposite, you know, of a Heisman candidate, Naden Hutchinson, right? Getting a lot of one-on-one opportunities and those things. So I'm a big Ojabo guy. And I think he would have been firmly uh, a first round player if he didn't get hurt in his pro day. Yeah, I think so too. I think he could still honestly sneak into the back end of the first round, maybe the last five picks, some contender that doesn't need him to contribute right away can redshirt him and, and just have him develop. Cause he, like you said, he is definitely in need of development. He only played, I believe it was like just a handful of snaps before 2021. So like, he's very, very raw um, former soccer player before, you know, turning over to football. So there's kind of like a reason, like if you look into his background and understand his story, like there's a reason behind why he is so raw. And so I think for me, that gives me optimism for future growth and, and development because he's got so much to learn, so much to improve on. Um, and he's just 21 years old. So 
I think he'd be a great option for the Texans at 37. Do you think he makes it that far? That's probably like right around his range, huh? Yeah, I think so. I think that's exactly the range he'll fall in. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. We'll do a few more questions from the chat and then we'll finish it off with our rapid fire question segments. So Rick, the ruler 713 wants to know, wouldn't mind trading back from 13 just far enough to get either McDuffie or Booth, then try to trade back into the first round and get Ebiquete if you don't love an edge at 13. So yeah, so I guess this is his scenario here, trading down from 13 and trying to get a cornerback because Lovey Smith has preached a lot about how he didn't, he wasn't a big fan of the cornerback play last year. And he thinks that's a position that they need to improve on to run the defense that he wants to run. Um, so I guess trading back until, you know, those mid late twenties, would you target McDuffie out of Washington or Booth out of Clemson? Austin? Yeah, I think for, you know, it all depends on if you want get someone to come up, right? Because I think the reason, you know, obviously Houston fans wouldn't mind trading back is the difference between a player that can be drafted at 13 versus a player, you know, in the late 20s. I don't think necessarily is that big this year, right? I think the draft class is deeper than it is blue chip. So going from 13 down to 20 and still getting a McDuffie or a booth and then finding ways to get back into the first round and grab Evan Kitty, I think it's fantastic, right? I think, you know, yeah. the prime spot to be drafting in this class is that, 15 to 32 range mm-hmm. you know, because of just the depth, right? It's you know, some people have said it's the worst year to have the number one overall pick because there's so <laughs> many different guys who could go and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and Ebiquete is one of the other, oh my gosh, we just keep going through all these edges, but I really want one of these edges because it's such a good edge class. Um, give me your thoughts on Ebiquete. Where does he kind of rank um, among the other guys that we've mentioned? Yeah, Ebiketti is – I'm a huge fan of. I actually like Ebiketti over Johnson. I think he is a phenomenal edge talent coming out of Penn State, really long arms, good athleticism, and, and really, really good pressure production too. You look at you know third and long pass rushing snaps, he's among the best in this class. You look at no stunts, no blitzes, he's one of the best in this class. You know He's got a lot of really, really exciting advanced analytics in addition to the athleticism and the length. I think there's – if he falls around too, I'd be really, really surprised. I think Ebiketti is ultimately a first-round player. Yeah, that's awesome. I think he's a first-round talent as well. I thought he kind of reminded me of, like, a more athletic Jonathan Grenard, um, just in the sense that he has this kind of, like, compact build, and he's very much like a technician. Um, His pass rush technique and plan for a guy his coming out of college is is really impressive. And I love that he's able to kind of win on all three tracks, like to the outside, the middle, to the inside. So very tough for a tackle when you're out on an island and you know that this guy can come at you in three different directions like trying to guess and, and choose which path to stop them on that's gonna be really tough so i love abiquete as well i think where he can kind of improve is in terms of run defense like he has some moments where he, he shows he's capable of doing it but i think he could benefit from bulking a bit um and that'll help him be you know a full three down player because i feel like am i right in saying this i feel like right away early in his career he's gonna be more of a situational designated pass rusher I think I think for him, I don't know. So I don't think it's going to be super situational. Maybe just start. I think he can actually be like a legitimate run defender as well. I think it depends on the, you know the role or the team that drafts him. I think he maybe needs to add some weight, but honestly, not necessarily. Like I again, I think he's one of these guys that's getting slept on this class. Definitely someone I'm higher on than the consensus. For sure, for sure. And then we talked. We ended up talking about Abiquete as well with Derek last uh, episode. So I'm going to ask the same question. What do you think about the other Penn States? edge slash linebacker uh jesse lucetta because he's one of my my guys this year i absolutely love him but i want to hear your thoughts not as high on lucetta i i wanted to see like probably a better senior bowl if i'm going to be on high on mm-hmm. him i didn't like the day two i, I see him more as like 
maybe a day three type of guy that maybe you're betting on in that range. But once you get to day three, right, you're looking for guys to have some things that you like, but, you know, need to improve in a handful of areas before they become capable starters. That's where I kind of see Luketa. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I think speaking to that last point, you said, like, you need to see like a trait or a value that you like. Like, I love just like his physicality, um, especially as a run defender. Like I feel, I feel like he's pretty pro ready in that sense, whether you want to put him on the edge or whether you want to make him like a four, three Sam and just stack and shed some tight ends on the front side of runs. Like, I think that's a really good skill set that he can bring to the team. Um, no matter where you want to put him, I think he adds value in that sense. Um, but I saw a good question in the chat. This is a big discussion point for Texans because we drastically want to improve our run game. Um, we're sick and tired of, of having a league worst run game. We're sick and tired of, of watching Rex Burkhead and all those other running backs. So Louis T wants to know, when is the earliest to pick a running back? Yeah, you know, PFF obviously is going to be a lot lower in taking running backs in the draft than like other you know outlets will be. But I do think with you know top guys in this class, Brees Hall, Iowa State, Kenneth Walker, uh, Michigan State, I think the earliest I'm taking them is honestly like round three. And I know that's yeah. not ultimately what's going to happen. I think there's a chance a running back goes in the first round, right? But I just don't think the running back class is that good. And you know, you think about it in a league now where there's only six running backs in the NFL last year that started more than 60% of their team's offensive snaps. Like there's not a lot of starters anymore. Like you're drafting complementary pieces. And if I'm not going to draft a starter with a pick, why am I taking one, you know, inside the first 64, right? Why wouldn't I take you know other pieces there and then look at some of the complementary styles that are probably going to be available late day two, day three. Exactly. There we go. Okay. So I'm not crazy. All of you guys love sending me mock drafts and I love it. But then you always have a running back at 37. I'm just like, ah. I love the player. Love Brees Hall. Love Kenneth Walker. Like they are my running back one and two. I guess Walker's one and Hall is two. But it's just in terms of the value, it's just not the right play. Um, especially when like Austin brought up a lot of great points. And I think speaking to the Texans particular specifically, we don't have the offensive line for, for a rookie running back to really succeed right away. And so I would rather spend those day two picks at 37 um and that 68 in the third round i'd rather spend that on a on offensive lineman and give that yep. rookie running back that you take in day three a better chance of succeeding because i say it all the time but barry sanders couldn't run behind our line last year he mm-hmm. just couldn't like it was it was ugly um so i'm with you on that i think day three is is the way to move um do you have some of your favorite running backs on day three day three running back options yeah one of my guys this year i think is going to be keontae ingram the usc nice. running back i think he is you know, you talk about like complementary skill sets. I think he has potential to be a legitimate, you know, three down type of player. Like I think he actually can offer that skill set for sure. Uh, and it's rare to see that from backs, right. That are going to be mm-hmm. available probably day three, you know, other backs. I saw someone mention Hassan Haskins. I like Hassan Haskins too, but he's more of a you know situational player, right? I don't see him as your first down back, you know, he doesn't have like the home run hitting ability. He's not like that fast and all that stuff. It's, you know, the reason that this running back class, I do think, even though we saw a lot of like insane 40 times, I don't love like the, you know, the overall athleticism of this class. Like I think the 40 times are running a bit on a fast track in Indianapolis. Yeah. Like I don't see sub four, four speed from Kenneth Walker on tape. I don't even see that barely from Brees Hall as well. Mm-hmm. You know, James Cook is one of the more dynamic players in this class. And I was going to highlight someone with home run hitting ability. So I don't know. I think it's interesting when you think about day three, it's about what does your backfield already have, right? Does my backfield yeah. already have a pass catcher? Does it already have someone that's offering speed? If then I can maybe grab a Haskins or a Damian Pierce, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. And for the Texans, like I think the coaching staff, maybe not so much the fan base, but the coaching staff feels very confident in Rex Burkhead taking those third down roles. And, and I think that's it's fine. Like he's okay. He can do it. Um, so I think what we're kind of looking for is that main rundown, like 
just a good pure runner. Um, so I, I like, I personally like Hassan Haskins a lot. I know we've got a, a Michigan connection with Pep Hamilton, um, formerly coaching there and our wide receiver coach slash passing game coordinator being a former uh, coach of Michigan too. So I think Haskins is a, is a likely pick for the Texans because you're always going to want to draft guys that you, you know, have a rapport with and have a relationship with. Right. So that's definitely a name to watch. Um, but the first name you mentioned, Keontae Ingram is a great one too, because he was one of the Texans top 30 visits. Um, and he's also formerly a UT player. So us Texans fans know a lot about him and maybe don't have the fondest memories of him at UT, but I think like Austin said, there's a lot of traits to bet on there um, that he's going to be kind of outperform his draft slots. I do think he'll end up going mid late day three, but I think he can become a guy who's, you know, a great number two in a committee. Um, and I think that's honestly what we should try and get out of this draft class because the 2023 draft class in terms of running backs is looking star studded. Um, and maybe Bajan Robinson can be the move. Do you think he's kind of the top running back for next year? I know there's a lot of options there. Yeah. I mean, I like Tank Bigsby too, the Auburn mm-hmm. running back. Bajan, you know, you see what he can do from the slot. Like I'm a huge fan of Bijan Robinson. It's going to be a really good running back class next year. I do think. And I think Robinson's right now, for, you know, maybe one of the front front runners there for sure. For sure, for sure. All right, we're going to get into our final segment of the day, rapid-fire questions. Um, Austin, who is your favorite defensive player in this class? Interesting. Hard not to say Aiden Hutchinson, right, because he's my number one player, but I think that's kind of cheating. I I think I'm going to be a lot higher on Andrew Booth Jr. than a lot of other uh, media. I think he's a top 15 player in this class, the Clemson corner. Getting a little bit downgraded because of the sports hernia surgery. I think the injury is pushing him further down than he should. Uh, I think he's a tough man corner, physical um, I think he comes downhill well. I think he tackles well. I, I think he can also play man coverage, which is just so coveted, obviously, in today's NFL. So I think Booth, I would say he's my favorite defensive player. Obviously, Aiden Hutchinson's the number one overall player on my board, but I think Booth is going to be one I'm higher on. Dude, I love it. I'm really high on Booth as well. He's my eighth overall player on my board. Um, he's, he tied for, like, the same film grade um, as Ahmad Gardner. So they tied kind of in cornerback one there, but I, I have – Gardner a bit higher um but yeah I absolutely love Booth as well and especially for the Texans I feel like he fits what we want out of a cornerback he's he's got height he's got decent length he's got great great ball skills and instincts like in zone coverage he makes plays he's an absolute playmaker and I know Lovey Smith wants that out of his cornerbacks and like Austin said he's a great tackler I, I think is it fair to say he's the best run defending corner in the class yeah, I think so. I mean, nah, I don't know. It depends on if you, if you factor in slot corners, right? Jalen Petrie, mm-hmm. I think, is a really good yeah. slot corner that uh, plays the run really well. I think, you know, that's always tough, though. In terms of outside cornerbacks, though, I think he plays the run really, really well. Yeah, I agree. Okay, yeah. In terms of outside cornerbacks, 100%. I do love Petrie, though. He's one of my guys. Um, do you think, since we're on topic, do you think Petrie is a guy that's like, where do you project his role best? Like, as a pure nickel corner, more of a hybrid role as, as the star? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's um, probably slot corner, box safety a little bit. That's where I kind of see him best. I loved his slot corner tape. Like, I don't know. You know, slot corners start in today's NFL. You know, most yeah. teams run 11 personnel more than 60% of the time. Like, I don't – you know, slot corner, I think, obviously has, like, a negative connotation compared to outside corner. I think outside cornerbacks are more valuable, but – you know, slot mm-hmm. cornerbacks see the field a ton. I think he is versatile enough to where if you didn't you know, want to play him in slot corner and you want to play more base sets, I think he could play some box safety too. Absolutely. I agree. Agreed. Love Petrie. Um, okay, moving on. Favorites. We did favorite defensive player. Now to the other side of the ball. Who's your favorite offensive player? Favorite offensive player. 
Hmm. I do love Ike Aquanu. He's one of my highest ranked offensive players in this class. You know, what? I'm actually going to go Charles Cross. I think Charles Cross is my favorite offensive player in this class. He's another one that I think is underrated. He's my OT one in the NFL nice. draft. I think he's underrated as a run blocker because he didn't wasn't asked to do that ton in the Mike Leach offense at Mississippi State. I think he's one of the best, you know, polished pass protectors in this class as well. Yeah, I think he is the best pass protector among those tackles. Um, the Alabama game to me really stood out. His ability to kind of change up his technique um, depending on the type of defender that was rushing him, whether it's a 3-4 end, whether it's a stand-up linebacker, whether it's a DB that was blitzing him. Like he really knew how to change up his hand technique, the timing, whether he was going to bait a punch, whether he was going to shoot with two hands, one hand. Like that really, really impressed me. Like his advanced technique for a guy of his age. And I believe he's only a two-year starter. Um, so very impressed by that. And then like you said, yeah, I don't – it was one of those weird narratives where – oh, he plays in this air raid system, he's not a good run blocker, yada, yada, yada. And I feel like there's two things going on there. There's one is just like the air raid system, but then also maybe compared to like Evan Neal and Ike Mekwondo, he might not be on their level of like nastiness consistently, but he's definitely a positive as a run blocker. I feel like he's got the technique down. I feel like he has the mentality. Like I saw a lot of reps of him just driving his legs and, and kicking out that front side D end. Um, so I think he's, he's solid in that regard as well. Love Charles Cross. Where is he? He's 11th on my board um yeah i think he's like a top 10 talent i feel like that's fair to say like borderline top 10 talent all right moving on our next rapid fire question is who do you think is the most overhyped player in this class that is tough i i think i might be going against your guy here though i think it's jermaine johnson <laughs> jermaine johnson is a bit overhyped at this point i think i see him now as like a lock to go inside the top 10 I, when you can get abiketti Karloftis, you know, other guys that I like in this class, maybe later in the teens or the twenties. And you got to tell me that Jermaine Johnson's a top 10 pick. I just think the hype has gotten a little bit too far, you know, after what was obviously a really good senior bowl. Like he looked mm -hmm. great at the senior bowl, but I think too small of a sample size, still an older player, all that stuff. Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Um, next up is most underrated. Most underrated. Hmm. I want to say Charles Cross. I've said that a little bit here. I think Andrew Booth is also a very underrated player in this class. Uh, maybe Leo Chanel, Wisconsin mm. off-ball linebacker, really good athlete. I think could sneak into the first round at the back end if there weren't uh, you know other linebackers that I think more consensus were viewed on, like Devin Lloyd and Kobe Dean. But I think Leo Chanel, you go back, he's you know one of the best run-defending off-ball linebackers PFF's yeah. ever graded, like very comparable to what Micah Parsons did at Penn State. That's enough for me with the athleticism to you know, really consider him a top 50 player in this class. I think more people will get on the Chanel train as they turn on the tape. Yeah, I agree. I think he's a top 50 player. I think that linebacker class is really interesting in, in how they can all have different kind of skill sets that they bring to the table. But Leo Chanel, definitely probably safe to say, I think it's between him and maybe like Quay Walker for the top, like run defending linebackers in this class. I think they both bring like physicality at the position that you want, the instincts that you want. Um, so I'm a big Chanel guy as well, but I got a question is what do you kind of make of his coverage capabilities? Cause he is, a, he did test as a good athlete, um, I think he might have tested a bit better than he actually plays, but what do you, where do you see his coverage skills right now? Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's not someone that you want to immediately ask to like turn their back to the line of scrimmage and stuff, but I, mm. I, I don't hate, I don't necessarily hate him in coverage as much as maybe some other off ball linebackers in this class. And I think it's something that he's athletic enough to like develop into, right? Like, I don't, I think if you asked him to do it, I think you wouldn't be, you'd be kind of pleasantly surprised with what he can do. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I kind of am with that as well. I think he's, he might not ever be, you know, 
mismatch eraser or anything like that, but he's not going to be a liability either. And with how great of a run defender he is, like you'll take that for sure in terms of his coverage capabilities. But I think this is an interesting scenario. Um, Primetime Barry asked, what are your thoughts on Brian Asamoah? I feel like this just kind of like hit me is like, if I could combine like Leo Chanel and Brian Asamoah into one player, like that would be such a crazy linebacker. Um, just combining their athleticism and then Asamoah's gifts and coverage with, with Chanel's run gifts, run defense gifts. Um, it'd be crazy. It'd be crazy. But what are your thoughts on Asamoah? Do you like him? The yeah, I like him a whole lot too. And I think when you talk more about these off-ball linebackers that will be available on day two, I think it makes it harder and harder to prioritize Devin Lloyd or Nicobe Dean in the first round because yeah. I think there's going to be legitimate starting talent available on day two. That's you know, Brian Asamoah of Oklahoma, Leo Chanel, Wisconsin, Brian, you know, um, you know, Christian Harris, Alabama is someone else that you can be high on. Darren Beaver, Cincinnati. Like, it's a lot of really talented mm-hmm. off-ball linebacker prospects in this class. And I think the depth of that position could ultimately you know, have teams more often considering a Dean or a Lloyd as not options necessarily over you know, and thinking that they can go get starters on day two. Yeah, and that, that hurts me to say because I love Dean. I'm one of the biggest Nicobe Dean guys ever. Like He's six on my, over, on, on my overall board. I absolutely love what he brings to the table. But at the same time, I, I know that like you can't take him at 13 if you're the Texans. Mm-hmm. It's just too high. Positional value, there are some risks in terms of his size. He wasn't able to, to really go through full testing because of the injury. So there are some risks there. Um, but I would love him at 37. I don't know if he's going to make it that far, but where do you kind of see a guy like N'Kobe Dean, his, his draft position, end up falling? I think there's a chance he could fall to 37, right? I think it's, you know, he starts to starts to make sense in that 20 to 40 range where, you know, I think Lloyd's already off the board. And if you're able to move past some of the size concerns and you want to ask him to immediately come in and, you know, um, you know, just like spot fire on gaps and stuff like that, not necessarily, you know, play and read and stuff. I think that's, I like his instincts a ton. Like his instincts, yeah. is, you know, one of more, it was very, very underrated, um, but his athleticism is also great too. I think the size is probably the only bigger concern with with Dean. For sure, for sure. And what makes me feel good about that for the Texans is they love their tiny linebackers. Like they want guys that are like six foot and like two thirty three pounds. That's that's perfect for them. That's perfect for what Lovey Smith wants because he wants those quick guys, athletic guys that can drop in coverage um, and, and cover their zones well. So I think Dean would be a, one of my dream picks at thirty seven for sure. Um, but we're gonna finish it up with our last rapid fire question, which is. If you could guarantee one player to start your franchise with, so imagine you mentioned you're a Raiders fan. Imagine you're starting the Raiders from scratch. No one's on their roster. You can pick one player from this class to kind of be your face of the franchise. Who would that be? Hard not to say Aiden Hutchinson, right? I think Aiden Hutchinson, top player in the class, someone I've got to know to over this project, right? I think he's a high floor player, really, really talented guy that can no, not going to change with money, not going to change with fame and can actually wear that face of the franchise label and, and, and exceed expectations within that role. Yeah, that's a great one. I feel like he definitely is the kind of perfectly role model, I guess, draft for draft prospects to look up to in terms of how to carry yourself off the field um, and just be a professional. So that's, that's great. Um, I think we're going to end it with a few more questions from the chat. So if you guys want to drop in, a few more we'll let us know but michael reyna wants to know what is our top five wide receiver rankings i'll start with mine and then we'll hit um austin's let me pull these up real quick so my top five wide receivers it's Traylon burks at one garrett wilson at two jameson williams at three drake london at four and then christian watson at five i'm a big believer in burks and wilson 
and honestly that entire top four like i feel like you can kind of mix them around and each of them have their own stake to wide receiver one um but what are your top five wide receiver rankings Austin? i have a little bit different i have drake london one chris olave two jameson williams three and then i have garrett wilson four Traylon burks five and i don't think you know i think for me what that highlights is just how close this receiving class is. Like, I don't think it's as good as last year's class with Devontae Smith, mm-hmm. Jalen Waddle, Jamar Chase. I think it's a lot of guys with where their biggest range of outcomes is probably like highest, wide, you know, high end wide receiver too. Like London, I think best projects is like a power slot in the NFL. Burks, you know, you talk to his, you know, Arkansas head coach, Sam Pittman. He says things like, you know, I think his best role in the NFL is going to be the slot. Like you think about a lot mm-hmm. of these guys not, not projecting them as, you know, alpha, target monster outside receivers right a lot of these guys like oh man like wilson you're gonna want to move around a little bit to get off the press chris olave is not really good after the catch like there's some there's like a little bit of flaws with a lot of the top end receivers in the class to where Mm -hmm. none of them are getting comparisons to chase waddle or smith and for that reason i think a lot of people will be different right different in this receiving class in terms of what they value and how they rank them definitely definitely yeah i think it's interesting to know because like like you said comparing to last year's class i feel like the the concerns like with Devontae Smith like oh it was just that he was too skinny like it wasn't necessarily like an actual trait on the field with Chase it was like opting out and, and maybe there was some like rawness in terms of route running but it wasn't really on the same level of concerns of the wide receivers this year so I'm, I'm in agreement with you I think in terms of the top it's not as star-studded but man it is a deep deep class like I think that's really where the wide receiver class shines in terms of like the second round to like the fourth round like i think that's really where there's like a big big stockpile of talent and i'm hoping that's where the texans can uh can pick up a guy because i don't think they need to go get one at 13 i know that's a popular spot for a wide receiver to be mocked for us and that's what some fans want but i think you can find better value later in the draft um okay we're gonna finish this one with blake taylor's question he says trevon walker has been hyped up for jacksonville is that actually a possibility or is it too good to be true? Is Walker going to go number one overall, Austin, or is that just not in the cards? I think there's a really good chance that Walker goes number one overall because I think Bulky, right, is there's some conversation about his relationship with Harbaugh and maybe not wanting to select Aiden Hutchinson and his golden boy there from Michigan. There's conversation around Bulky wanting to prioritize potential and, and the better traits, and that's obviously what Walker brings to the table. So I don't think it's impossible, and I think the – the odds could become closer as we get you know closer to draft day and that Thursday mm-hmm. when when we'll ultimately see who's picking number one overall and who's going to take you know who they're going to take and I would pick Hutchinson, yeah. but I also don't think you know some people are saying it would be absolutely insane to pick Walker <laughs> over Hutchinson. I don't, I'm not in that boat, right? Like, like I said, I think there are similar tiered prospects: Hutchinson, Walker, Karloftis, and Thibodeau. To where like if you have conversations around, hey, I like Walker over Hutchinson or whatever, like. I can see those conversations happening. Would I do it? No, I like Hutchinson over Walker, as I've said a thousand times. But like, I don't, it's not something that's coming out of completely left field, in my opinion. Damn. Okay. Okay. I have a different view. I, I kind of think it is out of left field. I kind of think Walker is, is in a different tier below um, Hutchinson just because of the fact that he's so much of a projection to me. I, I really feel like it's just so hard to buy into a player that you know didn't really produce very well and I, and I know like his his role on that defense and how deep they were that played a part but I feel like especially when you're picking out one with if you're the Jaguars if you're picking at three for the Texans like that is a pick that you really you want to hit on for sure for the type of franchises that they both are and so I think I think Hutchinson would be the move and, and even Thibodeau over Walker um but hey maybe that's why I'm not a GM 
Alrighty, that's going to do us for the show. Thank you so much, Austin, for joining us. You guys can find him and all of his great work at PFF underscore Austin Gale. That's his Twitter, and that's where you can find all of his good stuff. Um, appreciate you for joining us once again. If you guys were not able to catch the entire show, the audio version will be up on Believe in Texans on all your typical podcast platforms. That's B-L-E-A-V um, for Believe. So check that out for sure if you weren't able to catch it. Um, hit the like button, subscribe, all that good stuff on YouTube. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll do another stream on Thursday with another guest, um, and then we'll catch you next week. But that's it. Austin, thank you so much again for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. All righty, guys. Take care. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week. And remember, the film don't lie. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.